To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Ecclesiastes 3.12 Like the joy of the sea coming home to shore, may the relief of laughter rinse through your soul. As the wind loves to call things to dance, may your gravity be lightened by grace. Like the dignity of moonlight restoring the earth, may your thoughts incline with reverence and respect. As water takes whatever shape it is in, so free may you be about who you become. As silence smiles on the other side of what's said, may your sense of irony bring perspective. As time remains free of all that it frames, may your mind stay clear of its names. May your prayer of listening deepen enough to hear in the depths the laughter of God. John O'Donoghue. What a beautiful poem. Mm. Read with the lovely voice of... Kirsty Mack. There she is. And uh, this time we want to talk... Um, a little bit about nature and how you been, Kirsty? You doing okay? I'm super well, Jen McNeish. I am super well. So, how's what has your experience been of, of nature? As I hear the dulcet tones <laughs> of a lawnmower outside. Bless Sorry. its heart. Sorry Bless its heart. Sorry. Yeah, that's his nature piece. Um, just noticing so much nature this morning. Aussie and the hair oh. came within ten feet, and and looked in the window. Um, but I was also noticing that more when Mark and I went out a walk and Mark said, you know, I think these butterflies like us. And it's two mm-hmm. butterflies that come and they land on the path in front of us. You have to watch your feet. Like these things are like hanging out and guiding us. And there's a yellow warbler that follows oh. us. And it's got this beautiful yellow head and yellow face. And then we've got our partridges and the deer that come through the garden. It's... um. It's almost like nature is taking its place back again. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of creating a little bit more of the context rather than us creating a context for nature to fit into. It's kind of like nature's creating a little bit more of the context and it feels healthy and it feels good and it feels a little more wild and, uh, and, and I'm enjoying it. What about you? What are you noticing, Kirsty? I love that. You know, there was um, deer in Buchanan Street in Glasgow the other day. Oh, no, was there? Yeah, right at the top of Buchanan Street. Love it. Yeah, just kind of like, where are you all at? Um, And I think we've (laughs) we've heard that, haven't we, about since the start of this time, about people realising how loud bird song is and and recognizing it and we've said this was it is it that it's got louder is it that we're just recognizing it more um i i really noticed that even if i'm sort of begrudgingly going out for my cycle at sort of six in the morning i <laughs> as soon as i get out i just go oh i just breathe different i've got this full want to be grounded and to be and that's the thing about spring i remember when i was doing my seasonal um, my yoga teacher training they did yeah. it by the seasons and that's why I liked it and they talked about how we would emerge from winter with this new energy and vigor and we'd be doing our spring cleans and well, how many people have been doing spring cleans it feels <laughs> yes. like it feels like it's been amplified and we've really noticed nature we've noticed everything that's going on around us and we've noticed genuinely that it is spring rather than spring going by us and us not noticing 
and spring is a you know as a season but if it was a person it would be a pioneer yes it would be an adventurer it'd be a let's try new things and it'll be and that's a lot of the energy that we've seen come from people you know i'm aware of our language we've said I feel more alive, feel more alert. I've been planting, I've been saying I'm planting more seeds, I'm cultivating conversations. You know, yes. this is, there's an alertness and aliveness to nature that it's, I've, I've even prescribed more medicine walks to, to my clients to say, get outside, take the problem outside yes. and give it to nature. Um, yeah, I love, I love what uh, the beautiful, I suppose, Scott American, John Muir, one of the quotes I, I saw from him, he says, thousands of tired, nerve-shaken, over-civilized people are beginning to find out that going to the mountains is going home, that wildness is a necessity. Mm. You know, and that was from a gazillion years ago. And I think <laughs> yeah. that we're noticing that now. We're noticing it, like you it? said, our wildness, our yes. aliveness. And, and so, so nature, why would we talk about nature when apparently we're meant to be talking about leaders? So, you know, I know for this whole notion of nature fits with sort of organizational dynamics and what you speak of in terms of how do we engage with the, the chaos in our teams and our organizations. So tell us a little bit more about that. I think organizations are complex and they're becoming more complex. There's an impossible amount of processes and procedures and rules and laws and outcomes and measures and performance indicators and auditing. And it's impossible to use the machine metaphor anymore to hold those things together. The connections are too numerous. There's too many. But fortunately, nature somehow manages to sort that out. Um, there's analogies for it. You, you notice um, somehow bees are swarming and birds are flocking or there's murmurations. We're getting this beautiful murmuration uh, over the top of the field in front of us just now. These kind of, the, the birds all kind of moving in those patterns. Um, you get um, ecologies and woodlands forming and one thing feeds another and supports another. And my groundsman comes in and has a field day here because he loves the, uh, the way that the woodland speaks to the lawn, the way that it speaks to the outside bit of the, the woodland as well, and those other plants, and this connectivity that occurs. And so nature's kind of already got it worked out. And my mentor is a woman called Meg Wheatley. And Meg was one of the first to really teach on this. She's a biologist. Um, and she believes very firmly that there is a design built into nature. Um, <clears throat> no external controls needed. Somehow an ecology will form its own best order. And in fact, she went as far to say that life, nature, is the one phenomena that defeats the second law of thermodynamics. Second law of thermodynamics is about entropy, which is about disorder as time goes on, things breaking down. You leave an old bike out, it'll rust and it'll fall apart. But she says nature's different. If you take it from single-celled amoeba to multi-celled organisms, to fish-like form, to bird-like form, to mammalian, to herds, to tribes, to civilizations, life seems to create more and more and more connections and order as time goes on. And I think my favorite model for this, and I remember seeing it for the first time over 20 years ago, was Ralph Stacey's Chaos and Complexity model. 
And Ralph Stacey really took that notion of working with living systems, working with life, and he put it into this two-dimensional model, two axes. One axis was about certainty and the other axis was about agreement. And he said, when we're all in this bottom corner of agreement and certainty, then priorities and rules work fine, mechanize, go ahead. But he said, we live in a world of partial certainties and partial agreements. And if both are maximized, you've got absolute anarchy. But he said, this middle space where there's partial certainty, partial agreement is chaotic. It's alive, it's living. And you can actually draw phenomenal benefit if you work with the aliveness of your organization, with the living system. And he said, the thing you have to do, though, is you have to put some kind of boundedness around it. Mm -hmm. He said, because that's what nature does. When you see these birds murmuring and, and the, the, the flocking and the swarming and you see the schooling of fish and those things, he said, um, we can replicate that electronically. He called them voids. And that basically, what he was talking about there is, is, is um, bird objects. You know, that's, that, that, that was his idea of it. It was that these birdoid objects was what he called them. And that's where he got boys from. But he also liked the fact that it sounded like New Yorkers describing birds. The boys, the, the, the boys. boys fly. Yeah, the boys are flying here. The boys are flying there. And he said, it's got it. that New York feel. Um, but he said, each of these boys, each of these little agents is following only three rules. One is a rule about uh, alignment going in this similar direction to the majority of the, the flock. There's another one which is about cohesion, always cutting into the middle so you're keeping it all together. And then there's another one about separation, which is keeping a minimum distance to the bird closest to you so you can still fly and, and maneuver. And um, he said, that's why you get these elaborate patterns. You can replicate that. You feed those into a computer, you'll get murmurations and swarming and effects on a computer. And in fact, they used this in Lord of the Rings and a lot of cartoons to create battle scenes and uh, happy feet and all those things. That, yeah. that, was, that was the technique they used. But I guess what it makes me think about is maybe there's, we only need a few simple, profound rules. Maybe it's that Oliver Wendell Holmes quote that says, I, I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity at this mm -hmm. side of complexity, but I'd give my life for simplicity at the far side of complexity. Mm -hmm. It's like once we understand how life works, maybe once we understand nature, we'll find, as Kepler did, that there was three planetary motion laws. Newton has three laws of motion. There's three laws of thermodynamics. Maybe there's something in this three that says... The simplicity at the far side of complexity, if we can engage with nature and really learn from it right now, maybe we'll learn just some really elegant, simple truths for how leaders can hold their organizations together, how we can hold our online communities together, how we can make things work so that something natural and sustainable emerges from it rather than everything is engineered and damaging and violent. Maybe there's another way of working with what nature would teach us about how we do organizations. And, and I think one of those has to be the notion of fractals. Yeah. This idea of fractals, Kirsty, that's a, a, a wee obsession of yours. What would you tell us about fractals? Small, small, as I was cutting up a cauliflower yesterday, going, <laughs> oh, look at the fractals. And Billy's like, mm -hmm. really fascinating. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at the leaves, if you look at the leaves of, in our ferns, of trees, of, of you know, there are organized, there's patterns 
on seashells you know there's there's just there's that whole notion of nature as pattern so you know you've got your cauliflowers and your broccoli and fractals are often thought to be like really com complex like infinitely complex but basically it's like if you take a piece of a cauliflower off you've got the same thing you've just got a smaller cauliflower you know, yes. it's just like there's lots of just little cauliflowers and a big mother of a cauliflower. So each part <laughs> is like the whole, but smaller, you know, yes. so there's lots of these sort of, if you look at it from a magnification perspective, the pattern is still the same. So this is like the, the microscopic pattern is the same as the macroscopic pattern, right? There's just like, it's just everything is, is sort of these patterns that are going over and over. There's never ending patterns in our coastlines, in our trees, in our mountains. Yes. So that's all there. There's fractals and, and we see them in organizations. You know, but we as humans are ever repeating DNA strands. You know, there's just, there's a pattern yes. amongst a pattern amongst a pattern. And, you know, culture, culture permeates. You know, we exist, we see this. We, it's hard to put a put a you can't have language for a culture you can't necessarily you know say this is what we must do in every zoom call this is what we must do in every sort of meeting you know but we we can tell as we walk into a building we yes. go oh okay you know, <laughs> you, know you can you <laughs> this, this feels like, different oh okay you know we can get it we can see through the codes and the constant interactions with other people how people are are talking with one another you know they're they're felt. Uh huh. You know, yes. better felt than felt, as we would say <laughs> up here. You know, <laughs> it's not about having your values and your mission statement on a lanyard. It's about you get it, you feel it. You, there's just, and, and we've seen this. There's there's these unspoken words. These and someone new comes in, so a new organism enters the mothership, and mm -hmm. you know you see them go. We had a brilliant PDP program in our last organization. <laughs> it's just, it worked. We implemented it, it worked really well. And you can just, I mean, we've, we've been there. We've sat in those meetings and you've just seen people go, uh -huh. Uh -huh. It's like a uh -huh. car crash. It's yeah, it is. It is. Oh, it skims like a bouncing bomb along the surface of the culture and whizzes <laughs> out the other side, doesn't it? I know. Like, and you can, people don't say anything. They just go, oh, I. Mm-hmm. I've heard this before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all PDP. <laughs> that's new, you know. So it's we 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 can sense it. We we know it, and it's 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 if we can sense what the organisation does, how can we work with that more? How can we yes. bring those three simple truths, as you say? How can we verbalise it more? And there's a school of thought in ecology that says it will form its own best order. You know, like yes. you're saying in terms of even in madness and chaos, bifurcation points emerge and well we've seen a heck of a lot of bifurcation points we could map it scientifically and mathematically through these whole nine ten weeks so we these bifurcation points this is like when bits of order come out of the chaos this is yes. like every now and again a pattern will emit yes. like a, t a team build type event or yeah. we like this training or yeah yeah and it just pops up and i think if we can as leaders just now hold on to them and just see mm -hmm. what's emerging you know we've i don't even know even how many times we've used the word emerging in this podcast yeah. never mind the other podcasts that we've spoken about so if we can connect with them if we can engage with them and and so that's why if you've been on a team building if, if it's working and then if you make sure that the, the conversations continue you know that's that's artful leadership that's a way in terms of 
you know, because it's nature, nature is self-organized and no one's out there going, okay, trees, your turn, right? Yeah, That's yeah, that. Enter yeah. state ferns, enter stage left. We need some <laughs> growth from you. You know, that's yeah. not happening. And so there is, there is this nature, that, this sort of self-organizing element that happens in nature. I'm doing the hand thing again, which is not helpful. Um, but just, Do you think the older people in the, the people, see the people that have been there the longest, do you ever wonder that maybe they, they kind of like, we, we sometimes look at them as the resistant old lags that get in the way of change. But do you think that they've maybe just been around long enough that they think, do you know what, change will happen. It'll be natural, it'll occur, it'll be the right time and it'll be consistent with patterns that we recognize. Some of these blow-ins, as you would call them, some of these blow-ins, these people who are kind of like, this is, you know, how it's going to be. I wonder if that's why they look at them a bit jaded and say, do you know what? This is just going to be a waste yeah. of time getting after us because I understand the fractal nature of my business mm -hmm. because I've been in it for 25 years and I know that this won't fly. Yeah. And I wonder if we need to tap into those longer standing, older folks that have been in the business for years and respect the resistance rather than just thinking that they're being difficult or that they're being slow to kind of embrace yeah. the change. Defensive or paranoid. It's actually, well, ask the question, lean into it. Um, lean into what they're saying is there something that we can have i was reading um uh john it's, it's a it's not john o'donoghue's book but it's walking in wonder and i loved that he taught he said that land people walked in a land kind of way and i just thought that notion he's like land people walk in a land kind of way the spread of the land was on them as the world would say he says oh, but wow. we've kind of isn't that beautiful but he says we've kind of we walk in a corridor like fashion we're going somewhere. <laughs> I know, right? You know when you just you just put the book down and you go, huh. mm. and it, and one you know we have been. It's kind of like this is where we're going. It's progress. This is what we have to do, and we're going. We've got that unilateral way of looking at things, mm. and and maybe as you say that flu, we're we've lost our fluidity, our mm. wildness, our question, and and to lean into those people that might they might be really wild and we might need to ask them the right question and they just know what nature is all about and so you know Gregory Bateson said that the major problems in the world are the result of the difference between how nature works and the way people think. Aye, aye, aye because there is that sense of we look at nature as some kind of savage garden yeah. you know that basically it's survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. And we take those analogies and say, that's what we're going to work with. And, and true, there are elements of that. But Charles Darwin never said survival of the fittest. That was never his thing. No, it was another guy, um, Herbert Spencer, that talked about it. Darwin actually had something called the sympathy hypothesis. And he believed that there was much more evidence in nature for cooperation and compassion, leading to more offspring, leading to greater success for the species. Um, his finches, uh, Darwin's finches are called on the Galapagos Island. If you look at the studies even beyond that, what they found that really marked their evolution was their adaptation and flexibility. The species would adapt so they could accommodate more and other forms of finch. And, and Meg Wheatley says that, like in one of her quotes I remember that really hit me between the eyes. She says, if you want the real evolutionary principle, it's this. Brutal species ultimately wipe each other out. Those that learn to coexist prosper. And that's what we have to learn from nature, is that look at the adaptations, look at the way 
these, you know, I, I watch the hare out there with the partridges and the thrush and all of those things, and they're all moving around and they scatter the minute I walk out the door. Mm. We've somehow distanced ourselves from nature. Yeah. I think the only thing that would suffer if we died as a species would be pot plants. I think everything else would flourish. Um, you know, highly domesticated pets probably and pot plants. Yeah. Um, but everything else works in a cycle that we've kind of divorced ourselves from. And, yeah. and I, yeah. there's, a, there's something that during this time where maybe we're starting to get an appetite for coming back into the cycle again yeah. and starting to realise that we've been that brutal species and that yeah. quite often we are that brutal species at work. And it's time for actually a change of heart. It's time to say, how do we fit back in to the cycle of life? How do we fit back into actually playing a contributory part to the flourishing of nature? There's actually, I saw, I was on a webinar and they were saying that there's a 4,500% increase in Google searches for how to live a sustainable lifestyle. Oh my goodness. That's hopeful. It is. It is. And so I suppose it's like, what's sustainable leadership? What, what's, what is this nature? Because I got really excited even thinking about that. And we have been brutal. We have been brutal. And we're still being brutal. And this is that opportunity. So, so what is it? What's, what have we got for the future from nature in leadership? Yeah, it, it is. Is that how, do you, how do you play your part? How do you notice the fractals? Mm you know, how do you, and how do you notice the opportunity for them? So one of the analogies, the just two analogies, one would be lighting bushfires. Yeah. How do we light those wee bushfires? Yeah. And um, experiment rather than everything has to be engineered and constructed to these really firm outcomes. Is there something now where leaders could think about lighting some bushfires to see what we get? You know, life experiments, it sends out millions of spores and two or three of them germinate. You know, it's, it's, it's that sense of experimentation. What would that be like as a mindset for leaders? And then the second thing, and I think this is more of a feminine trait, it's to catch those bifurcation moments that you talked about. When bits of pattern emerge, rather than everything has to come from me as my business plan, my strategy, what would it be like to sit back for a minute and just observe the natural pattern of your organization and catch those little bits of team event that occur over there and those little bits of um, process that seems to be working and then this new relationship between these two functions over here. What about saying that all happened naturally? How do I create the conditions to welcome them and draw them in rather than that kind of harsh masculine implementation, driving, pushing through the whole time? What would it look like to pull, to draw order out of the chaos? draw these patterns rather than it all has to be engineered you know like just you saying that I was thinking we have this phrase don't we which is you can lose yourself in nature but actually yeah. that is losing self that is saying it is not about me it is you know it's not just purely self me in nature if I just thought of self I wouldn't survive and yes. so it is about, as you say, about collaborating, about working with, about adapting. And if we relax the sense of self, then we could work closely with each other. And, you know, in nature, in a really stark fashion, if you don't change the environment, you die. 
you know that I mean that's yeah. no news we've all you know we've we've all still got the relics of blockbuster in, in our <laughs> industrial parks oh I miss it you know but yeah. how how can we ensure that we are really aware of the conditions that we don't just leave it with a c-suite or with a you know let's 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 keep the um the transformation team on that you know how do we tap into everyone how do we uh, use the antennae of everyone in the organization because mm. it's about locally being responsive and being attuned to what is happening around us and so nature sustains itself with these loops with these feedback loops and so yes. are we tapping into those feedback loops or are we just purely focused on that sort of unidirectional process and just this is where we're heading this is what has to happen are we expanding our awareness and, and being aware of all of the different components and maybe our spans of control need to they need to be smaller now being in a bit i'm pointing across there because there's like an industry just across from us but you know being in these massive buildings it was great if you had big massive teams yes maybe that's not right for now maybe yes. that's not right for when we're working from home or some of us are working from home and some of our you know it's maybe we have to think about how we organize ourselves and be aware of the self-organization of nature and people I wonder if it's even about even how we join a market, Kirsty. Do we have to now start to become sensitive to that? I remember working out in Singapore with trading teams and we're working on levels of consciousness. And the Western guys, Americans and the Brits said, some of the Singaporean traders are a little bit blue. They're a little bit kind of rules orientated and constrained. Whereas these guys were orange. They were trading free open market. Only when I started to interview the traders, the Singaporean traders, I realized that they often saw that coming in with too much success early on could destroy a marketplace. They were actually green and second tier thinking. Mm -hmm. They were thinking, you don't come in just for individual success. You have to almost respectfully join a marketplace. And I remember once Meg was over doing some work with me in London, and we went a walk around St. James's Park and we were passing the pond and we were looking at the various birds and, and, and shrubs and stuff, and we're just talking. I was always drinking in from her. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, you've got to be really careful, even in nature, if you're a new species that joins um, uh, an ecology. She said, there's usually three routes that that species takes. One, she said, every species that joins a new ecology is always more greedy and always more... Um, uh, turf conscious and trying to create more space than it needs. She said it wants to find out what's going on. She said there are three routes it'll take. One, it will destroy the ecology. Two, a bigger, uglier species will come along and wipe it out. Or three, it will adapt and learn to coexist with other species as part of the ecology. She said even in nature, there is that brutality that we need to observe and watch and we can learn for. And I wonder if so many of us now joining an online marketplace that's already packed with some e-learning people and, and what they're doing, we could very cleverly compete and get a short-term win. And then this whole marketplace becomes just the same savage garden that we imagine survival of the fittest is about. Or we can just join in with each other. We can talk and we can find out what others are doing and can we get alongside and can we partner more successfully? symbiotic isn't it you know there's more in nature there's more collaboration than competition and yeah. our ecosystems will be 
sustained with symbiotic relationships and we know that when we come together more can be achieved more is possible evolution is at work you know and both individual and collective decisions are already shaping the future so it's the natural order of things to seek organization to seek greater complexity and diversity you know that's nature that's what we're doing that's what we're seeing you know there's no isolated individuals even your hair is there with the partridge and the horses and the butterflies and all of you know that's it's not isolated it's all symbiotic it's all moving it's all fluid um, and i think we are we're rediscovering our our interconnectedness you know yeah. That's where we're rediscovering that we're connected to so many different things that we want to, life wants to affiliate with other life. Yeah, and it does. That's what we're here for. You know, it creates future possibilities. And this is, this, this is a way of working that could take us, you know, I'm now going to, after recording this, think about what are those three principles? You know, what could those three elegant principles be? Because, you know, this is, this is given us an opportunity to warm up for the next thing that comes you know, that's what's, that's what's important. We're just warming up for something that's bigger and we have a massive opportunity. Life is porous. The whole world leaks. There's no such thing as a perfect seal. It all gets out, it all gets in. Everything leaks into everything else so that everything can heal. What a terrible, sad neurosis is the fear of this osmosis. Michael Lunick.